Thanks for listening to the Word Alive podcast. We hope you enjoy this teaching. For more resources, please download our app by typing W-A-I-O in your Play Store. In the remaining few moments that we have together, this is probably one of the most significant days, uh, as Lewis mentioned, something that God addressed with us today. We feel a real mandate from the Lord uh, on what we're going to talk about today. We, uh, we knew that the 40 days we were entering to a few days back was a 40 days of significance. And uh, interested in the midst of this, we've seen lots of shaking, lots of storms, lots of uh, trauma, lots of things stirring up in this season. And uh, that testifies to the fact, you know, things are really moving, the eclipse, the heavens are speaking, circumstances are speaking. It's a really, really significant time to say the least. And we're moving on that. We're going to Rosh Hashanah next Sunday. Then after that, Yom Kippur Day of Atonement, which is the National Day of Forgiveness, global forgiveness, and then we wind up in the tabernacles, which is, should be such a celebration that for eight days we just party outside under a tent. Now, I don't know about you, when God's, if God does something so good in your life that you have to party eight days just to celebrate it, God's done something pretty good. So touch your neighbor and say, God's about to do something pretty good for you. Tell them, God's about to do something pretty good. Tabernacles is a time to enter the fullness of, of what God has for us. It's the ingathering feast. It's the culmination of a year. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the ending of a year and the beginning of another. It's when you're supposed to enter into the fullness of what God has for us. There is a fullness God has for you and for I in the earth. That's why, we're, that's why we prayed the prayer, baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire, because we believe everybody here's got a purpose. Everybody here's got a destiny, and there's a fullness of it that we're supposed to walk in together, and this time of year is about us getting the next allotment, if you will. It's, 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 it won't ever be about the totality until the Lord returns, but each year we get another allotment. We get another measure, if you will, another step, another piece of territory, if you will, that God wants to uh, bring into our lives. Anytime you're about to enter a new season or territory, there's always enemies or obstacles. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 9. It says, a door of great opportunity stands wide open for me, but there are many opponents. One translation said, many adversaries. So we know anytime, uh, some have coined this phrase, new levels, new devils. Right? When you start to take new territory. By the way, when Israel was about to cross over into their promised land, you know, they never fought battles in the wilderness. They only started fighting battles when they started to move into their inheritance, to their fullness, to their allotment. That's why they weren't in a great hurry to leave the wilderness. That's why when we pray these bold prayers like baptizing in the Holy Ghost and fire, these are bold prayers. Why? Because the wilderness is comfortable. And it's not comfortable because we're necessarily even in the flesh or in sin. It's comfortable because the wilderness was a comfortable place. God was there. Presence of God was there. Uh, Provision was there. Manna. Shoes didn't wear out. Uh, No battles to fight. You just wake up every morning with Egg McMuffins flying around and uh, eat them and hang out with the Lord and, you know, find out when's the camp moving, when's the camp staying. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on, was there? Just wilderness. But I don't know about you, but uh, I know for me and for the a remnant of this church we met together last Sunday night, there's a remnant we're not satisfied hanging out in the wilderness. 
We're not satisfied in the area of comfort when we believe that God has given us a land of promises that we as individuals and as a church are supposed to affect nations of the world for the pulling down of strongholds and the establishing of God's kingdom and the message of freedom to go out throughout this region and the whole world so that captives might be set free, sick people healed, demon-possessed people delivered, and people know the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not satisfied staying in a wilderness. So we're willing to fight some giants. Touch two or three people. Tell them, I'm willing to fight some giants. Tell them, I'm willing to fight some giants. What are these giants? Ephesians 6, we covered it last week. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says something very interesting. Lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I'm afraid many of us, according to the word of God, have perished for lack of knowledge because we've been ignorant of the enemy's devices. And so today, I felt like the Lord wanted us to uh, uncover a hidden enemy that's a giant enemy in the land, in our land, and in the land, called Leviathan. This is a picture of what this beast would look like, if you could see this beast in the spirit. There's biblical accounts in Job 41 and Isaiah 27, we'll cover today, that talks about this beast, talks about the wiles and the schemes of this beast. Basically, Leviathan is a high-level demonic spirit that works to twist communication, create misunderstanding, and damage or break relationships. Has anybody here ever had your communication twisted? Has anybody here ever been misunderstood? Has anybody here ever had a relationship that was broke or damaged? I got news for you. That's not flesh and blood. That's an enemy. That's an enemy. And the enemy's real. Now, I want to apologize in advance that we have not been, I have not been more discerning to recognize this spirit and what it was attempting to do in our midst. And so I personally want to apologize for that. And the ignorance in my, on my behalf of not realizing and recognizing this spirit and what it was trying to accomplish. And the Lord so wanted it dealt with, he brought it supernaturally. Bev and I were watching a TV program recently in my, my bedroom, and all of a sudden I looked to the right. The TV's here. I looked to the right, and there was a huge coiled snake in my bedroom. And I closed my eyes and then opened them, and it was gone. And it was as real to me as that monitor right there. It wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't an imagination. It was a reality, but I closed my eyes, and it was gone. Honestly, I thought, well, maybe my mind's tired, you know, whatever. So a week later, I'm watching a prophecy over our church from Neville Johnson because I've been reviewing the prophecies because we have signed up for a move of God. And there's prophecies that, have, that are over this house about what God wants to do and the fullness of what God wants to do. So I've been reviewing those. And as I did, Neville spoke of seeing a spiritual snake in his house. And then days later, after trying to clear land where they were going to build a building on for their ministry, saw a huge snake in Australia, and they're up to 30 and 40 feet long, that followed him in the forest for four days. 
He said, finally, I just went and got a shotgun and shot it. <laughs> My peace I leave with you. <laughs> right? And, uh, and shot this snake and burned the snake, and a demon spirit came out of it, screamed out of it. So I'm thinking, wait a minute. I need to go back and deal with this. I went back to my bedroom, got bed. We prayed over this situation. As soon as we prayed over that, it started unfolding just like this. The next two days later, Jackie Patio is holding a staff meeting here at the church, and she begins to identify patterns. And these patterns she identified was it seems if every year at Tabernacle, when we're about to walk into the fullness of what God has for us as individuals or as a corporate body, something raises its head to try to stop us or stop you. Can anybody here testify of the fact that there have been moments you felt like you were about to step over into what God had for you, or a promise or a blessing, and all of a sudden something raised its head to try to keep you out of God's purposes and God's plans? It's an enemy. It's an enemy. In the midst of this, a lady walked up to her and said, she's been going to church here for 10 years, and said these words, when are you guys going to deal with Leviathan? Just like that. I called Paul Keith Davis, a prophet friend of mine, asked him about Leviathan. He said, I can't believe you called. I just got two prophetic words about it this week. Time to deal with Leviathan. Joe Brock, a prophet from Birmingham, called me. He said, I heard you were talking about Leviathan. I said, I am. I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm studying, learning. He said, the Lord spoke audibly to me today. Don't be food for Leviathan in this season. I called Chuck Pierce, another prophetic friend of mine, and, and, or text him about it. He said, oh, my God, I can't believe you just mentioned Leviathan. I'm in Alaska. Dutch Sheets just took the platform. We're dealing with the, nation, the states in the United States that we believe are aligning with the kingdom of God. We're in Alaska in a meeting. He just took the stage, and out of his mouth came, it's time to deal with Leviathan. If that wasn't enough, on September 13th, all on our cell phones, we couldn't believe it. We all got these ad, adverts that a game just came out from Destiny 2, and the name of it's called Leviathan. God trying to get our attention to say, I'm wanting to deal with this spirit in the land in this season. Let's go to God's Word really quick, and let's see if we can get into this just for a moment. Isaiah 27, 1 is the first passage we'll look at, look at that says, In that day, let's pause a minute. Put your hand on your ears, will you? This is important because we, we need to hear what God's saying. And so we just say, God, give us spiritual ears to hear. Lord, we just know this spirit would love to pervert or twist anything said. Lord, give us spiritual ears to hear what the Lord would say to us today so that we can process it, receive it, be free from it, and see it in other people's lives and help them to be free from it. Lord, we say we want to hear the word, receive the word, and see it work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. In that day, the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent. And he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now, this is interesting, and I need you to, to track me right here, because when we speak of Leviathan, the picture I showed you, this, this huge mammal-type whale with a, uh, with a, uh, that's also... Uh, talked about like a crocodile with scales, uh, with this huge head with teeth that have been, people have seen as prisons for people, uh, this massive beast, if you will, a twisting like a crocodile twists people, uh, like a whale who can swallow you up. This is the picture that God has wanted us to have. Now understand, I'm not saying animals are demonic. 
But God, for some reason, for this, for this particular beast, you know, God, God's not in the business of coming and slaying animals. So if he says, I'm going to take my sword and I'm going to come slay this thing, he's not talking about a natural thing. He's talking about a spiritual thing. In Job 41, you'll see in a minute, the whole chapter has been devoted to this entity called Leviathan. Well, how many of you know, I don't believe God would, would give you a whole chapter about an animal just for the sake of knowing it was an animal. It's God metaphorically speaking to us about a spirit. Now, the way I know this is not just from the Word of God, but from personal experience. Because I've dealt with the demonic realm and I've encountered it. Uh, some of you may have encountered it on certain levels. I know when Bev and I first got saved and first gave our lives to Jesus, and we got, we got baptized with the Holy Ghost in fire. We really had an encounter with God. And it was almost immediately the enemy would try to come. And if you don't believe the enemy's real, just believe me on here. He's here today. He's actually in this meeting. He's here with you and I today. Why? Because it says he's here for one purpose, to steal the word of God, to steal the seed. It says as soon as the word is sown, he's there immediately to try to take it away from us. And so when we were first saved, we were in our sleep, entities would try to come into our room and choke us. Has that ever happened when you're asleep and you're, you wake up and you're choking and you can't get Jesus out? You're like, and if you ever get Jesus out, Man, that thing just breaks, which tells me there's power in the name of Jesus, right? And so we, we started having these kind of weird encounters, I'll just be honest with you, realizing there is a real demonic world out there that wants to stop us. And in the midst of this one night, and I want you to get this right about the animal part of it, the metaphor, is in the midst of this, I, I was in a dream, kind of in a dream, out of a dream, and this huge walrus, walrus in my dream was biting my hand. And it was so real, I would wake up and shake my hand and rub it. I would feel the pain of it and go like, you know, tuck it. Next thing you know, I'd wake up, bite my hand again. Went on for most of the night. This is weird. Next morning, I woke Bev, I mean, next morning, Bev and I, I told her about it. She said, that's odd you say that. She said, some entity was in our room last night that was trying to sexually molest my body that I had to fight off in the spirit. I was like, wow. Two days later, we met a prophetic guy that was dealing in some deliverance. He said, I just cast the spirit of lust and perversion out of a guy. I said, did you see it? He said, yeah. I said, what did it look like? He said, a huge walrus. I'm like, my God, this stuff's real. And so when I talk about this spirit, I'm talking about a real demonic entity called Leviathan. Now, let's see if we can see what the behavior is so we know how to recognize it. Number one, it says in Isaiah 27, it's a fleeing serpent. Translated from the Hebrew is bariach, which means side to side. Leviathan darts side to side. It appears that this spirit darts side to side in communications to create misunderstandings on both parties, causing one side to lash out at another in the escalation of offenses, accusations, hurt feelings, and embittered reactions. This spirit is subtle, huge but subtle, that likes to get involved in relationships and, and weave on both sides trying to bring division in relationships, especially God-ordained covenant relationships. Have you ever been in a conversation, even with a friend, and all of a sudden the communication got twisted, and the next thing you know, there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of accusation, and a lot of, a lot of trouble that came all of a sudden from nowhere, huh? Three of us, everybody else is just holy living on the mountaintop, right? It happens. 
It says it's a twisted serpent. Translated from the Hebraic word nachash, meaning the hiss of a snake. The root word meaning to whisper a spell. It's what Eve experienced in Genesis 3. It says the enemy came and whispered to her and said, has God really said? And she came under a spell that caused her to react in a certain way. Did you know that enemy is a very alive today? And he will come and whisper to you. You know how he whispers to you? In a lot of, a lot of insidious ways. You'll even come in a church service and you'll say, can you believe how she looked at me? Or something along these lines. Can you believe she didn't look at me? Or he didn't look at me? Or Right? It's this spell. It's this whisper. That's just one, one example. But you understand these thoughts, these whispers. that try to, And in reality, they're not looking at you at all. Nobody's looking. <laughs> Nobody's looking at all. It ain't even real. It's just the enemy. Somebody shout, it's the enemy. It's the enemy trying to get involved. The serpent was more cunning than Eve, it says. You know that, Genesis 3. Leviathan's spirit works on both sides of conflict. Wanting to pierce relationships, poke holes in unity, deflate cooperation so that we stop loving one another, honoring one another, and working together to advance God's kingdom. It's a covenant-breaking spirit. Its sole purpose is to cause suspicion, discredit, dishonor, belittle authority, and stop the sound of heaven. It's a covenant-breaking spirit. It's the ruling spirit behind divorce, especially in the body of Christ. It comes in a marriage, and it comes insidious, and it comes in a hidden way, but it starts bringing suspicion and accusation, and discredit, and twisting communications. And the next thing you know, a marriage is in shambles because this spirit has got involved. And now people start breaking covenant because a spirit has got involved. Let me tell you, it's not your husband. It's not your wife. It's flesh. It's not flesh and blood. It's a spirit at work trying to destroy relationships. And we can't sit idly by and look at it in a natural way when God's saying it needs to be dealt with spiritually. I'm convinced that this enemy is going to be exposed and marriages are going to be saved today because somebody gets a revelation of what I'm talking about. It's not natural. It says it's a dragon. This is all from Isaiah 27. That word dragon is a Hebraic word tying in from the root word to elongate. What does that mean? It distorts and blows things out of proportion. It's, it's, it's a molehill and we make a mountain out of it. It's a minute problem and we think it's a deal breaker. I heard this Hebrew rabbi talking. He said he was doing marriage counseling and they came to him and they said, we want to break our marriage. We want to leave each other. We want to break the relationship. He said, why? They said, he said, the husband said, I can't take this anymore. He said, then why don't you just deal with this? What is the this? Find out what the this is. You can't deal with this anymore. What is the this? Don't break the marriage. Just deal with the this. You see, this spirit doesn't want you to deal with the this. It wants you just to break covenant and move away from each other and let God's purposes be spoiled in our lives because we're not seeing what's happening. 
The dragon is called the dragon of the sea. Sea in the Bible always speaks of humanity or humanism. It makes us get out of the spirit and get in the flesh. It makes us try. You know, the Bible says you cannot overcome with the flesh. Flesh can't cast out flesh. Flesh is not the answer. Human wisdom is not the answer. I appreciate psychology. I appreciate counseling, but it's not the answer. You can't, you can't counsel a demon. You can't counsel a demon. You got to deal with it. You got to expose it for what it is and allow the Lord to come and deal with this. And I believe the Lord is wanting to deal with this in our lives, in our relationships, in our churches, in our city. It's a spirit that's well and alive. It's alive in businesses, it's alive in jobs, it's alive in business uh, relationships. God wants to split business, I mean the enemy wants to split businesses, wants to split marriages, wants to split churches, wants to split relationships. Any kingdom related relationship, the enemy's wanting to break that apart. And he comes through twisted words and, 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 and I didn't realize it, that it had attacked us so bad in our church. Honestly, I have to repent for it because I was just facing it as I, was, as I could face it. But I can tell you for years now, I've had countless conversations with countless people trying to explain to them in three-hour conversations what I actually said. Try, and, 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 the, and it's so twisted that even after three hours of trying to explain yourself, it just gets more twisted. That's not natural. That's not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not really what happens. I mean, people have taken things I've said and, and made up things that, that I believed and then broadcast that to other people, making them think I said things that I actually never had said. But there again, it's not a, they're bad people at, at, at all. It's not, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness and rulers. And I'm here to expose that thing today and say, you're not welcome in our church anymore or in this area. But don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's everybody else's fault. I've done the same. I think we'll see as we look into this. We've all, we've, had, we've all had some part to play at some level in the twistedness of communications. Why? Because ultimately it's all based in pride. Isn't it? Job 41, look at this spirit, what it says about him. Job 41, 34. This is talking about Leviathan. It's all in Job 41. He beholds every high thing or haughty thing, one translation, he is king over all the children of pride. In other words, pride and the people that operate in pride, he's the king over that group of people. The satanic scriptures calls Leviathan one of the four crown princes of hell. Well, if pride got Satan kicked out of heaven, that tells you how powerful it is. And I'm going to tell you why it's so powerful is because you can't see it. You never see it because if you could see it, you wouldn't have pride. Pride blinds you. It blinds you so you can't see it. That's why it's so powerful. I don't know anybody prideful that knows they're prideful. They can't see it. And isn't it interesting, if you read, read Psalm 41, it says this beast scales are so connected together that air can't breathe through them. The spirit can't get through 
The Spirit can't get through. And so this is Paul the Apostle. It had scales over his eyes. And he was so prideful, he was killing Christians thinking he was doing the will of God. But what happened? God humbled him. Knocked him off his horse. Come on, somebody. Knocked him off his horse. Blinded him. He said, you're so blind, I'm going to make you further blind. Blinded him until he met Ananias who baptized him, showed him the light, and it says his scales fell off and he knew Christ and immediately preached Christ. Somebody's scales are about to fall off in this house today. Pride's all about selfishness, valuing and preferring ourselves and our agendas, our perspectives over anything or anyone else. Pride's easily offended. How dare he say that? Pride's easily irritated. That's not what I said. Pride's easily embittered. Well, I'm never going to speak up again. I'll just leave. The spirit of Leviathan has no problem breaking up relationships based on misunderstanding. That's its job. And if it can't get you twisted, it'll get you in pride. It'll even get you in pride against the twisted people. I've had it happen. I spent hours with people trying to explain myself, knowing my own heart, and they keep twisting my words. It just pisses me off. You know what I'm talking about? Then, then, so now I'm, I get in the same spirit there are. And next thing you know, I'm, I am Leviathan. I, I, I'm the same spirit they're in because you can't ca- Satan can't cast out Satan. Anger won't deal with Come on, somebody. You've got to humble yourself in the sight of God. And I'm sorry about the piss word. But it's in the scripture. Anyway, that's the other story. <laughs> this beast has seven heads. Seven heads. Isaiah says it has, uh, the beast has seven heads and ten horns. What are the seven heads? Proverbs 6. Six things the Lord hates. Yea, seven are loathsome to him. What does the Lord hate? Eyes that are arrogant. What does that mean? People who look down on somebody else thinking they're better than the other ones are. It says God hates that. It's Leviathan. It's when we look on anybody or anyone else that's not like us and deem ourselves somehow better than they are. And it's rampant. It's rampant in our churches. It's rampant in our society. It's rampant in Christianity. We want, to, we, want to, we want to nullify everybody else and, and we, we, we want to, to put the highlight on their issues. That's why Christianity, we fail. We want to highlight stuff like homosexuality and abortion and we want to highlight these, these things. Why? Because they're probably not your issues. And so why do we like hide them, so, highlighting them so you can hide in your issues? Nobody wants to talk about greed or lust or gluttony. So we hide our fat, prideful selves under and exalt these other, think somehow we're better just because you don't have their issue. And we scream about it and we protest about it and do nothing about it. 
I think they're all, if there's a law that should be written, it should be this law. You have no right to speak against something that you're not doing anything about. <laughs> screaming, about screaming about abortion and you've not adopted one child. You've not foster parented one child. You've not given your life to do something good, and yet you want to scream about everything that's bad. That's not the biblical way. That's not the way Jesus said to live. He said, overcome evil with good. In a nice way, we should say, shuddy, shuddy. Tired of hearing about it. What is that? Jesus said, get the plank out of your eye. Quit knocking people over with a two-before trying to get their toothpick. It's pride. It's arrogance. Haughtiness. You look down on people with addiction. People that aren't like you. People that are disenfranchised. And somehow we think we're better than they are. A tongue that lies. Hands that murder the innocent. A heart that hatches evil plots. Feet that race down a wicked track. A mouth that speaks lies under oath. A troublemaker in the family. If that don't hit home with somebody, everybody here has either got one or you are the one. <laughs> and what's amazing to me is a lot of the troublemakers are call, call themselves believers. And they're the religious spirit in the family that's always stirring all this stuff up because they're full of pride. Just because all the brothers and sisters ain't acting the way they want you to act. God said, I hate it. I fight against it, God said. Pride, arrogance, haughtiness, looking at others less than we are. It's rampant. It's rampant in our city. It's rampant in our churches. It's rampant globally. It's rampant in our government. Leviathan, see it. I hope your eyes are open today. See him on CNN. See him in the White House. See him in Washington. See him. He's in it all. He's like that crocodile grabbing and twisting. See it. It's, it's Trump and CNN. It's CNN twisting everything Trump says. And it's Trump saying stupid stuff. <laughs> Out of his own insecurities and his own fears. It's twisted. And somehow, somehow all the church wants everybody to pray for Trump, but you spent eight years cursing the other guy. Spent eight years cursing Obama, and now you want everybody to bless Trump. We got to repent. You're the one that put Leviathan in Washington with your words. You're the one that released Leviathan to Washington. All the Christians. We released Leviathan with all of our negative talk. We need to repent. And we do need to pray for Trump. And CNN does need to quit twisting his words. But we need to pray for him. And he needs to quit being stupid. I'm I praying for him. I thank God put him in office. But may I go on record and tell you, he is not a man of God. So I've got to fix that. 
preachers and Christians are calling him a man of God. He is not a man of God. That is not true. That's twisted. That's not what a man of God looks like. A man of God's not haughty. A man of God's not thin-skinned. A man of God doesn't tweet things like that. A man of God doesn't speak to women like that. A man of God doesn't touch women. A man of God doesn't do that kind of stuff. So let's get that stuff settled right now. He is not a man of God. Now, I'm not saying God didn't put him in there. That's a whole different story. I believe God put him in there because he's crazy. I really do. He's just crazy enough and radical enough to be open enough to do anything opposite of what's being done. And I believe God can get right in the mix of that and fix our nation and change our nation and move us forward in a supernatural way. But but don't you be confused. It is not because he's a man of God. It's just because he's open enough and available enough where grace, where sin is abundant, grace is even much more abundant. Come on. So all these Christians twisted by Leviathan or say he's a man of God and confusing the body of Christ. And so body, people in the body of Christ won't pray for him because they're confused because they think, well, wait, I can't pray for him. They're saying he's a man of God and I'm saying he's not. It's twisted, isn't it? Let me go ahead and tell you this. I, I'm for him. I'm praying for him. Why? Because God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the world. You know, to the world, it's foolishness. But God's got a plan for that man. That's why you ought to pray God sending the prophets, sending godly wisdom, sending the anointing, send the people who can speak to us. Let him turn his heart, oh God. Let him lead this nation. Get him, invade him, Holy Ghost. Move in his life. Saturate him. Captivate him, oh God. Move him in our nation in a mighty way. Let him be the trumpet of God. See how truth will straighten something out. Now, I understand some of you think there, what do you mean he's not meant to go? Had people leave this church because I said, you got to pray for Obama. Didn't say pray for him. I didn't say pray for him because you like him. Didn't pray for him because you believe in him. Pray for him because the Bible says pray for those who are in leadership over you. And pause a moment. By the way, when the Bible was written, it wasn't America. So when they instructed them to pray for those leaders over them, it was the leaders over them that were cutting their heads off. Burning them at the stake and feeding them to the lions. That's the leaders they said pray for. So you got a problem blessing a Democrat or a black man. It's in that spirit too. It's in racism. It's in Black Lives Matter. It's in White Lives Matter. It's twisted. It's twisted because both sides are right. Both sides are right. It's right that you shouldn't be a black African-American in our country afraid for your children that are going to be shot by the police. That shouldn't be so. On the other hand, you shouldn't have to be a policeman worried about getting shot either. 
Don't twist it. Just see it as it is and pray, God, let your grace come on our nation. But what's even worse is it's in our marriages. It's in husband and wife. It's in families. Can't we see he's right in the middle of your family trying to destroy? Some of us can't even eat Thanksgiving together without blowing up. Can't even get together without something exploding. It's not people. It's not flesh and blood. It's an enemy. Our churches are full of it. We fight each other. We fight church fighting church. Denomination fight denomination. What is it? It's pride. It's twisted. Baptists think they're right. We think we're right. Everybody thinks they're right and nobody humble enough to admit they might not be. Pastor, a pastor in this city called me in tears, hungry for God. He said, I just need to apologize to you. He said, I hugged you at a public gathering with a lot of pastors there, and, they, and everyone in my denomination are persecuting me because I hugged you publicly. They don't know me. All they know is that I blow a shofar and say piss every now from the platform. They don't know me. <laughs> They don't know me. They ain't taking time to get to know who I am. They don't know my life. They don't know my walk with God. They know nothing about me. And I know nothing about them. And that's the problem. Because we don't care. It's twisted. They're worried about me taking their people. I'm worried about them taking my people. They're worried about the money. Who's going to get paid? It's twisted. That's why people told me, they said, Church of the Highlands is coming. I was like, I bind them in the name of Jesus. No, you know, it's like... I'm like you. I have insecurities just like everybody else. As soon as I had that thought, the Lord said, Kent, do you really think that I started this church and now you're worried about some other church? He said, when you came, don't you think everybody else was worried about you? He said, don't you remember how they persecuted you and hated you when you come? Now you're going to be the same spirit. Is, are you going to be a Saul? Are you going to be a Saul of the next movement? That's what happens. You start out a David and you become a Saul because you get all insecure. That's what happens to preachers. We start out Davids and we become Sauls. We start persecuting the next ones because we don't want them to take what's ours. It's not right. Those are Church of Highlands are good people, good pastor. Good church. Welcome in our city. We shouldn't fight each other. We should be fighting for each other. Every denomination's got something good. Every denomination has been part of building a foundation. If it wasn't for the Baptists, you wouldn't know the Bible. Wouldn't know those memory verses they made you learn all the time. I'm telling you. Wouldn't even know the Word of God if it wasn't for the Baptists. 
wasn't for the Pentecostals, you wouldn't have that tongue thing going on and all that stuff happening. <laughs> wasn't for the Methodists, you wouldn't have any character. They preach character. Wasn't for the Church of God in Christ, you wouldn't have no rhythm. <laughs> wouldn't have no true worship. You know what I'm saying. What for the Catholics, communion wouldn't mean as much to you. You see good in all of it. But we've been twisted. They're right. They're wrong. I'm right. Why does somebody have to be right? And why does somebody have to be wrong? Why can't we just be together? Jesus didn't say they will know you how that you're right or you're wrong. He said they'll know that you're mine and that how you love one another. This got to stop. It's, we, I'm trying, buddy. It's, it's got to stop. I appreciate the encouragement. But God's got a strategy for us. Number one, repent. Jesus said, we no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. I asked God, how do we deal with Leviathan? He said, make sure it's not in your heart. What part of twisted conversations have you been a part of? What part of causing division in your family have you been part of? What kind of haughty looks have you got working in your life? How, who are you pointing the finger at? Who have you spoken against? Who, who, what, create, what, 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 what misunderstanding have you been a part of creating? I read this scripture this morning. I thought it was interesting. I, I, I knew it was about with repentance. But I read the first part. Jesus said, we'll no longer talk much. Let me see. Jesus ties no, not talking much with the enemy not having a part of you. Could it be that our mouth is allowed space for the enemy in our hearts? Can you dream with me a minute? What would happen if we just started talking right? In other words, what would happen if, if, you, if you just, if you just start, if, if somebody says, comes up and says something to you negative about Trump, and you just say, I'm sorry, our church doesn't believe in that. We just believe in prayer. You want to pray with him for me? What if somebody comes up to you and says something about one of your brothers and sisters here? And you say, I can't receive that. See, by the way, let me go ahead and give, give you another straight shot. Calling somebody on the phone to talk about somebody else is not prayer. Oh, we were praying for them. No, you were gossiping about them. And I know how that spirit works. It works in me. Sometimes you hear somebody's having a hard time and it makes you happy because you're having a hard time. Makes you feel better about yourself. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I had it happen to me recently. There, there, there's a preacher in the body of Christ. I've known him for years. I don't like him. And, uh, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden, all, all of a sudden I, heard, I heard a rumor about him, and it just tickled me that something bad had happened to him. You know, I was like, oh. <laughs> and I thought, Kit, you are terrible. And it is terrible. It's just terrible. But it's honest. But it's terrible. We've got to stop it. We've got to repent. 
Everybody here has either had it done to you or it's been done through you. Repent. Two, love. Love never fails. Love is the most powerful force on the earth. Paul the Apostle said, if you feed all the hungry in the world, you, you, you heal everybody, you speak with tongues, you do miracles, you even raise the dead. But if you don't have love, it's a, tingle, it's a tangling symbol. It's a clanging symbol. It means nothing. Love's powerful. Love never fails. When we choose love, we're choosing to act in the opposite spirit of Leviathan. We're overcoming evil with good. Love is patient. The enemy wants us to be quick to anger, but love's, love's, able, love's able to accept and allow imperfections in others. Love is kind. The enemy wants us to be concerned with how we're being treated. Love causes us to reach out and bless and serve others. Love's not proud. The enemy wants, to, wants us to be selfish, but love is humble. Love does not dishonor. The enemy wants us to speak ill of others. Love always finds something good to say. Did you know you can find something good to say about everybody? Now, it may take you a while, but you can come up with it if you just stay there long enough. And you'll find something good, I promise you. There is some good, something good in everybody in every situation. That's why it says if you set your mind on things above, not things beneath. Think on these things, things that are good and lovely and of a good report. These things. Love does not dishonor. The enemy wants us to speak ill of others. Love always finds something good to say. Did you know every time you say something ill about somebody else, you're actually releasing a demon spirit? That's serious business. I, I experienced it personally. I'm preaching on this platform, and in the middle of a sermon, I felt a demon spirit punch me right in the face that physically knocked the breath out of me. It took me two or three minutes to gain my composure. I go home and watch a video trying to figure out what I said. I didn't know what, didn't know what was going on. And at the end of the video, the Lord said, call this man. I don't know why I was supposed to call him, but between calling him Sai Mudim texted me from India. He said, I'm praying for you. And he said, I'm praying for you because I saw a vision of somebody throwing rocks at you, and they were so close they could hit you. And it was a guy in our church that was very close to me that for a decade had served faithful in this church. And all of a sudden, the enemy twisted words in a misunderstanding. And he was releasing accusations against me personally with his words. And the Lord said, that's the demon spirit that hit you. That's the guy that released it. I said, what do I do about him? How can I release one back? Lord said, forgive him because he doesn't know what he's done. How simple is that? Simple. Forgive him. Didn't know what he did. Why? It's not about people, is it? We're not wrestling with flesh and blood. Prince by his powers. Think about that before you say something evil or ill-intended. You're releasing dem demonic spirits. Love does not demand its own way. God, that's a big one, especially in church, isn't it? The enemy wants to provoke bitterness when we're not getting our way. But love knows the Lord is the way maker. Love is not provoked. The enemy wants to cause misunderstanding on both sides. Love does not respond negatively and does not get angry or bitter. Love keeps no record of wrong. The enemy thrives on keeping records of offense. Love lets go of wrongs and does not take offense. You were created in love, by love, and for love. Love looks for the best in each person. 
The enemy relies on your misinterpreting the words and actions of others. But love chooses to believe the best about people no matter what. Love never loses faith. The enemy wants us to be angry at anyone that has failed us. But love keeps us in faith that God, not others, is our source. And he has good things for us. Last but not least, humility. James says something like this, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you. Choosing humility connects us to the power of the victory of the cross. Jesus did not hold our wrongs against us, just the opposite. He forgave our wrongs and chose to serve us even when we were maligning him. We need to live on the foundation of Galatians 2.20. I apologize, I don't have it on the screen. But it says something like this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Now I live simply by the faith of the Son of God that gave his life for me. Crucified people aren't offended. You can't, off- you can't offend a crucified person. Please. Look at that. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Loved me and gave himself for me. No church Pentecostals we grew up in, they, they'd say, they'd call it humble, humble yourself. There were some humble people. I can remember a real um, humbleness about them, but powerful. They, they didn't look like the superstars of Christianity today. Some of them not even successful, but humble. And somehow in our journey of faith and Christianity, I feel, I feel like we've lost that. Thank you. When, you. when I look at social media and I look, listen to Christians, I don't find any humility. It's like this spirit has so twisted us. And it's prevalent amongst preachers and leaders. Somebody writes a new book about a revelation they felt God gave them, and all of a sudden just just gets stormed with hate, hatred, hate words. And the enemy loves it. Oh, Leviathan twists them and just slides away. Because he didn't have to destroy them. They'll destroy each other. He actually doesn't have the power to destroy him. He just has he just has the deception to cause him to destroy each other. The Bible says, "Be careful if you bite, 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 backbite and talk about one another, and you wind up destroying each other." And somehow, I feel like we've lost the fear of the Lord. There's just, it's like it's not prevalent.
I was okay with God killing people in the Old Testament. But it kind of frightened me when I found him killing people in the New Testament too. He did. I don't understand all that. But I think what we did, and especially the Pentecostal movement, my brother and I have been a part of my family, we felt like that the fear of the Lord was produced by the wrath of God. And I think that was our error. Actually, the fear of the Lord is produced by the grace of God. Because the Bible says this, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who should stand or who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I just believe the Lord is very serious right now in this season. He desperately wants us to move into our allotted possession and inheritance as a people and believers. And he wants to deal with this spirit. And what I got excited about was when I found out that this spirit was actually defeated at the Red Sea. I never knew that before. But it's right there in the Bible. It's Psalm 74, verse 12 and 14. For God is my king from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpents in the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food for the people inhabiting the wilderness. Israel, I never saw that. Have you? God took them through the Red Sea. It wasn't just the water stopping them. Leviathan was trying to keep Israel from crossing the Jordan. And God slayed him, cut off his head, and fed Israel his flesh in the wilderness. The ancient Hebrew wisdom writes that they actually dwelt under the skin of Leviathan as their sukkuth or their tabernacle. Ancient Hebrew wisdom is the very tabernacle of Moses was clothed with this, was covered with the sea creature's skin. What is God saying? What you thought was going to take you under is actually going to take you over. Come on, somebody. It's going to take us over. It's called grace. They pray this prayer. Would you stand up with me? They pray this prayer every year. May it be your will, Lord our God and God of our forefathers, that just as I have fulfilled and dwelt in this sukkah tabernacle, so may I merit in this coming year to dwell in this tabernacle of the skin of Leviathan. In other words, may this spirit have been defeated in my life this year and may I dwell under the tabernacle of his skin in this coming up year knowing this spirit has been totally defeated in my life. You say, Kent, how do we deal with it? Well, repentance, humility, and love, of course. But I believe God gave me a couple of revelations. I'll share them with you really quick. There's something about the presence of the king. My friend Bishop Jones was, pre was preaching. What nation were you in when the Lord came and stood by you? In Suriname. He said the Lord came and stood by him. And he said to me, he said, you know, when, when somebody says the Lord came and stood by you, if they opened their eyes, it wasn't the Lord. Because he said, it's frightening. <laughs> he said, but the Lord came and stood by me and asked me a question. What ministry would you like to see now? And he said he knew that the Lord was saying, what would you like to see happen in your ministry? And he said, I knew that it had to be the Lord because I'm not that, this quick to think of this. He said, I, for, for I knew what I had said or asked for. I said, Lord, give me the understanding of what your protocol is. 
of how I can host you so that you're always with me everywhere I go in these meetings. What a prayer. How, give me the protocol. Show me, Lord. How do I host you so that you always show up in every meeting I'm at? He said, you know, Ken, he said, since then, he said, when I go to these meetings, he said, all I do is invite the presence of the king. He said, and I don't scream at demons, and they don't scream at me. They just leave. I said, I said, where'd you get that? He said, Esther. He said, she invited her enemy to come before the presence of the king. Just come with me to the presence of the king. Is that not what it means? I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'm not here to say we're de- I'm not here today to say we're dealing with Leviathan. I'm saying come with us into the presence of the king. Because the king is going to render judgment with his mighty sword on this spirit and cut him off our life today in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. Because I believe we all need a fresh encounter with God. I know that's what I'm hungry for. I'm hungry for a fresh encounter with God in my life. My little grandson, Preston, I'm learning a lot from him. He's almost two. We got a little drum set for him. And he was... so. We put it together and we went to show it to him and he got the sticks amazingly and liked it and sat down and five seconds started playing it and, and stopped and said, Papa. So he called Papa. Like me to sit down by him. You know, and the stool's about that tall, you know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not the most comfortable place in the world. And so I'm sitting down, you know, I'm like, oh God, my back's hurt. So I, I'm there about 10, 15 seconds. I get up and walk away. He's like, Papa, Papa. I'd get up, as soon as I get up, he'd quit playing. Papa. I'd get up, not Papa. Just like this, the Holy Spirit said, see, the gift doesn't mean as much when the giver's not there. I'm afraid in our Christianity we've gotten so caught up with the gifts that we forgot about the giver. He's blessed us. He's blessed you. He's blessed me. So I went out that afternoon sat down in a chair and I just said Papa. I just really believe that the Lord wants to baptize us, if you will, in this season. With this fire we talked about, with the love of God. Cloak us with humility. We're supposed to look and act so different than the world. There should be a stark difference in light and darkness. He told Moses, he said, I'll set you apart to be a light 
to the nations. Through our conversation, through our behavior, we should be so different than the world system. Untwisted. I helped Bev with some briars this week. We were cleaning around the house. They were about that big. Terrible. I mean, you, you couldn't help, you couldn't manage them. Manage them. And I sat there and looked at it, and I just had this vision because I knew I was going to be dealing with a twisted spirit. And I felt like, oh my God, I saw it. Those would, must have been the kind of thorns that they put on Jesus. It said they twisted thorns and put it on his head. I believe Jesus paid the price with twistedness in his mind with those thorns so that we could be set free from this terrible spirit that would want to destroy your family, marriage, ministry, church, relationship. The blood of Jesus, the power of the name of Jesus, the sword of the Lord. We simply say, God, let it come now. We come into the presence of the King today. We summon the judgment of the King today. And we say, God, come with your terrible and mighty sword, the rhema of the Word of God today, and release a judgment upon our enemies. Lord, we are a people who no longer want to live under the force of this evil spirit that's had its way in our life. We recognize it, and we see it for what it is. So, Lord, we repent today. We say, God, forgive us. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me for any part I've had in it. Lord, releasing it even from this pulpit or into this church. Lord, forgive all of us on any level we need to be forgiven. We repent of this spirit today and how we've allowed it to flow and function in our life. And now, Lord, we just say, fill our heart with love. Lord, let us just see people in the past that would have caused any other feeling and let the love of God be manifested toward them. Let it be a reality that comes straight from the Spirit of God, right about innermost being, a baptism of the love of God, even for those who've wronged us and hurt us and even hated us. Lord, let the love of God just come. Let, let love come out of husbands for wives and wives for husbands. Let love come back into business relationships. Let love come back into families. Let love come back into churches. Let love come back in the midst of us. Lord, let the power of your love just begin to permeate our life. God, let us have a fresh encounter with you, and we know how much you love us so that we can love each other the way we're supposed to love them, oh God. And God, we pray you'd cloak us with humility. Forgive us for our haughtiness and our arrogance. We humble ourselves before you today, God. And we simply say now, God, we invite this spirit into the presence of the King. And we say, Father, render your judgment on this spirit and deliver us today. Set us free. We pray the prayer of the Hebrews. And we simply say, may it be your will, our God and the God of our forefathers, that just as we have fulfilled and dwelt under the tabernacle, so may we merit in this coming year to dwell in the tabernacle of the skin of Leviathan. May this spirit be so totally defeated in our life this year that we literally move into the next season, season of our allotment and our inheritance. We decree it. We declare it. We say we are delivered from it. We thank God that the chain is broken. We thank God that the spirit is broken. And we say now, he who the sun sets free is free indeed in the name of Jesus. Can we praise God real loud in here just for a moment? Thanks for listening to this message. If you are blessed by this message, you can give by visiting waio.org or by downloading the Wayo app and selecting give. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Thanks.